Have you tried finding tickets for any live event lately? It's impossible to keep up and prices are crazy. That's why you have to check out Gold Star. Gold Star makes it easy to discover the best in live entertainment in your city with instant access to awesome events and special ticket deals, concerts, live theater, comedy, dance, food fests, immersive experiences, you name it. Gold Star has access to special deals you won't find anywhere else with savings of 50% or more. Go to goldstar.com and use the code DCPOD to save $10 on your first purchase. That's goldstar.com, code DCPOD to save $10. Hey guys, welcome Hello. back. that's right and also a happy new year happy christmas and everything in between of all the festivities yeah so this is the first episode of the year actually so i'm super excited actually because 21 days in and uh yeah oh god (laughs) but we come with an amazing first episode of the year we've got the lovely dr peggy bernage with us Thank you so much. Please do tell us um, just a little short bio about yourself. We want to we want to get to know you. Thank you so much, Shirley and Susie, and and Happy New Year to you both. And thank you for the invitation of inviting me onto your show. Uh, well, as you can tell by my accent, I am not Scottish or English or Welsh or British of any sort. Um, I'm American, but I am Haitian American. I was born and raised in Miami, Florida. And of course, that first question that everyone always says is, and you're in Scotland, why? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Can only imagine. Well, there's only ever Brought two reasons. You. There's only ever two reasons that, and I'm sure everyone can guess. Either it's work or it's mm. love. And it was- uh, Okay, okay. Which one was it? Was it both? No, it was love first. Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking love is the only thing that would make me move from like a really nice hot climate <laughs> to the Scottish one because it just seems like <laughs> I don't think yeah. that that decision would come naturally to me. <laughs> it, it, it didn't. But the thing is that no one... So, you know, when you're in the States, there's all these stereotypes of other cultures and, and nations. And, you know, you think of when you think about romantic, sexy men, you think you think maybe <laughs> Irish, certainly think French, you know, maybe Italian. They mm-hmm. don't mention Scottish. <laughs> they don't mention Scottish. <laughs> you're not ready. You're not ready. Yeah. And, and this man came with the whiskey and the accent and the kilt and was My like, uh, you and me, we're what, doing what, What's his accent? What was, how was I supposed to say no? I mean, and, and he came True. with no games. He came with no games. So he knew um, what he wanted. I was like, okay, I was finishing up. He did. And it was me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> next thing I knew, I was like, I'm moving to Scotland. And everyone was like, but are there even black people there? And like, I don't know. I'll figure it out later. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> and at the time, I was finishing up my, my PhD uh, at the University of Texas at Austin. And, and I just wasn't really scared about moving across the world to a, a nation I knew very little about. Because my work 
you know, I grew up in a multicultural, multiracial city, mm-hmm. um, very vibrant. I, I was comfortable with people of other cultures, other languages. I did my master's work in West Africa in Benin. I did my PhD work in the Caribbean in Guadeloupe. Mm-hmm. I've worked all over the U.S. and lived in various places. So I wasn't, it, it wasn't um, any kind of, of odd thing. But when I did come, uh, working was uh, a bit of a challenge because of the way my degrees work in the U.S. are a bit different here. But because of the fact that in the United States, if you are an archaeologist, you usually get that degree under anthropology. But also Mm -hmm. my work as an archaeologist, I'm specifically a historical archaeologist by training, looking at the African diaspora with with much of my focus on plantation studies and slave food ways. So, you know, having that, that history and historical studies in the diaspora, the slave trade, Atlantic slavery, food, plantation studies, I could fit into most uh, history departments throughout the the country. And so that's, that's where I'm at. I'm currently a lecturer in the history of Atlantic slavery at the University of Glasgow. I am also the director of the Beniba Center for Slavery Studies, which is the first of its kind in Scotland. Um, and so besides being a lecturer, I'm also a public historian. I do a lot of uh, public facing events with, with, uh, BBC Radio, particularly Radio mm-hmm. Scotland, um, BBC Television. Uh, I, I work with theater, the arts, science um, ventures and festivals. I'm all over the place, pretty much. Um, to be yeah. fair, that, that does sound like a lot, but it also sounds like you're incredibly passionate about yeah, I, um, yeah. what you're doing. So, I, I mean, am. it's a lot, but you are giving. <laughs> I am, because... Because, you know, many of us, and I, I think this, you know, most of us that are, are, that identify as black can certainly say very few of us grew up hearing any kind of positive history about our ancestors. Right? Very true. Very much true. Yeah. How did you um, sort of find your specialties for your, your PhD? Was it something that you'd always sort of thought to research or something that fell into your lap or... How did that come about? So um, I, I fell into archaeology when uh, it turned out I wasn't going to become a script writer or a screenwriter in Hollywood. Stop, stop. Yeah, right. Same, same, Peggy, same. <laughs> but the same. point is, the point is, which I think is why you do, maybe one of the reasons why you do this, this amazing podcast is that you want to tell and share stories. Yes. Right. In however format you can, you're going to get those stories out to the world. And for me, it was, you know, I'm, I'm not African-American, I'm Haitian-American. So mm-hmm. while Haitians and, and you know, uh, Haitian immigrants and descendants of, of Haitians, we, we have that pride of, you know, our freedom wasn't given to us. We took it. That's right. right. We took our freedom. Mm-hmm. But we also have <laughs> suffered for it. And anything you see yeah. in the news predominantly is, is us as victims, 
right? Mm. Whether it's an, an environmental situation, cataclysmic because of uh, hurricanes or earthquakes, things like that, or man-made, there's, it's just always problematic. Mm-hmm. And the backlash of being Haitian in the United States has, has been troubling for, for me. But besides that, just being descendant of enslaved Africans has been problematic all over, I would say, the world, especially in what mm-hmm. is not taught, right? Mm-hmm. It's only ever taught at best, you were slaves and then you worked. Right. And it was me, why there is nothing born. before that. <laughs> There's nothing before that. And even during that, um, you were slaves, but we gave you your freedom. So you're welcome. Mm-hmm. That kind of mm-hmm. Yeah. And before us, was, there was nothing going on. There was nothing, right. <laughs> you were, you were, you know, buck naked out without, right. without, you know, God or anything. Right. Absolutely. No <laughs> concept of whatever it is that needs to be nothing. done in life. Until nothing. And yeah. that never sat, yeah. that never sat right with me. So that's mm-hmm, what I decided course. I wanted to do is look into our history. I didn't need to hear about another, the history of another president or a king of England or I, I'm yes. fine. There are enough people doing that. I uh-huh. wanted to explore and study the history of our people mm-hmm. and our people's people. And I that's that. why I, I started doing it. Interestingly enough, would you believe when I decided, okay, I'm going to go back and get my master's and PhD. And I said, I'm going to do the African diaspora. Um, a white colleague of mine at the time. I'm raging already. Listen. You ready? You ready? <laughs> you ready I'm angry. I'm angry already. Okay. Yes, we're ready. A white, a white colleague of mine said, you can't do that. That's racist. And I said, sorry, huh? <laughs> right. Right. And I said, it's racist for me as a black woman to study my people. And she said, mm-hmm. well, I'm of Irish descent. What if I wanted to go to Ireland? Now, no. now this is when, <laughs> this is when the fists started to ball up. Uh, I yeah, started to yeah, move yeah. forward. Start thinking about HR. <laughs> right. Well, I wasn't thinking about HR. Right. It was obvious. But my, but, but my boss did. <laughs> I said, you can do it. You can do whatever you damn well want, but this is what I'm right. doing. And, uh-huh. and so that idea that you can't study your own unless it's, if you do, it's racist. But yet mm-hmm. I thought it was quite interesting that Americans and the Brits are allowed to go into everybody else's country and do their archaeology mm-hmm. and tell them about their history. Mm-hmm. I'll be but really honest. When I think of archaeologists, I'm like I'm going to be absolutely you know, straight up front and sort of recognize my horrific biases that have just become incredibly apparent to me right now. Mm. You know, when you're thinking about archaeology, think about yeah. black people. No, I used to want no. to do archaeology actually, funnily right. enough, and then I was like, but oh. there are no black people in this world. <laughs> no. Oh, sorry, in the world that I'm in, that like you're shown, you're always seeing these like you know. Mm-hmm. other Time people team. yeah basically yeah, basically right. just like middle-aged white men like digging in a country that they've got no business digging in why right. are you here sir in egypt <laughs> but yeah there are black archaeologists there are uh latino latina latinx archaeologists there are asian archaeologists out there but whenever i say can you imagine 
a group of Chinese archaeologists being allowed to go and, and dig up Stonehenge? Would that be would no. that ever be allowed? <laughs> no, they wouldn't. Yeah. They would never. Her Majesty's services would be there real quick, real nice. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that you don't know anything about archaeology, but you know enough about the way empire works mm-hmm. and the imperial mm-hmm. power works mm-hmm. to say uh, that would never be allowed. So basically, I so okay. So I just so no one was going to tell me I can't do this. So I went in, went and did um, started looking at the slave trade from the West African point of view, and that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Excavating in mm-hmm. Benin and having that opportunity to work and excavate in West Africa blew my mind. It is something I I wish every person who is descended of Africans gets the opportunity to go to the continent and just just mm-hmm. find their soul in the motherland. It's it's amazing. After that, I went to the Caribbean and was looking specifically at slave trade and Atlantic slavery from the other side, mm-hmm. right? Um, and right. excavating plantations, um, sugar plantations, particularly in uh, the French Caribbean, Guadeloupe. <laughs> That's where that show, um, Death in Paradise, is filmed, actually. Oh, in that okay. place. Yeah. So if you've seen that show, you see how beautiful it is. Yeah. I got to do that. Very, very much. Um, but specifically, what I needed to write about, you know, my, my boss was like, So, uh, what is your PhD topic? And I was like, Huh? What? <laughs> I, I, I got to think of something. And I need to refer you to a conversation I recently had with a, a colleague. <laughs> <laughs> huh? I got it. Well, uh, well, I ended up thinking about, okay, what can I, what do we have? What artifacts do we have that I can study and spend enough time? And the first thing that came out of my mouth was food. And, oh my gosh. And my professor said, you are oh, speaking okay. to our souls right you now. You really are. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> But you really are. (laughs) The more I started, the more I started really thinking about what can I say about slave food, the more I started finding that what is written about the enslaved Africans and their descendants in terms of food is only a just a tiny bit of what was really going on. And something that I started to tell us a couple of things that we might not know about. So, you know, one of the things that's always promoted, um, or at least if you you read in the primary sources, is that, oh, these poor slaves, they just have so little to eat. They have nothing. They're basically starving Mm -hmm. to death. And what they have to eat is, you know, some salt fish, maybe some barreled meat, beef, just a tiny bit, but it's mostly yams and and mm. sweet potatoes, mm. just, you know, nothing of any real Whatever flavor. Is... And they keep making mm-hmm. stews. They keep making all these stews. It's got a lot of chili in it. And all these mm. poor people. But then what I started realizing when I was doing the research and doing the excavation was like, okay, you as the colonial elite, you as the colonial administration had no problem knowing you've got to feed your beasts of burden to work the fields, Mm -hmm. but you don't go out of your way to feed the human beings that you have forced into slavery. And not only that, you're going to make them work 
you know, no less than 14 hours a day. And they also got to find their own food at the same time. And when are they supposed to do that? And so I started to realize, hold up, enslaved Africans found ways to not only take the little bits of food that they were allowed to either grow, maybe um, get sent as in terms of salt fish and whatnot, and they turned it into the most amazing cuisine Mm. that, you know, the Jamaican food that people love, the Trini food, the Haitian food, the Cuban food, you know, all this Creole cuisine is slave food, is slave cuisine. And the fact Mm -hmm. that they not only fed, found a way to feed themselves when the system was literally trying to kill them, starve them to death. They not only found a way to feed themselves and stay alive just another day, but they found a way to make that food taste amazing. Amazing. That we still relish Creole cuisine in various parts of the Caribbean or what we would call um, soul food in North America. All of that came out of slave food, which is directly connected to African cuisine. And it is something we all take with pride. You know, you, you will not take away Black people's food from them. We love it. We don't have a problem with its connection to the past and slavery because we know that it was a form of culinary resistance, not only not only to survive, but to feed our soul, to feed our children, to bond us as communities and to make it not just another day, but another century. And it is just something that I that understand everyone, everyone can love. You know, it's a part of that difficult heritage that we still embrace happily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess you. across your career, um, have you had any sort of you know, real sort of moments of challenge, you know, when you've kind of thought like, oh my God, like, I don't really know what I'm going to do or is this worth it or any of that? Mm-hmm. You know, how have you overcome those, those sorts of things? You know, one of the hardest things I had to learn was that just because someone is excavating or studying the history of Black people of the past, you know, if they're white, it doesn't mean they're an ally. Right. I had to learn that oh, the hard mm-hmm. way. I thought mm-hmm. that some of my colleagues that, that were also um, excavating sites pertaining to the Black experience, either in West Africa or the Americas, I thought well, we're on the same page because you're interested too. And while many of them are allies, I also had to find out the hard way. No, no, not all of them mm-hmm. are. And and some felt very threatened by the introduction of more Black people becoming archaeologists. Therefore, mm-hmm. we get to, to tell our history right. the way we want to. And mm-hmm. that what do you think drives or what do you think drives that? I was about to ask, yeah. It's a bit odd to have someone go into such a field and then feel it be like, you know, almost a competition when it comes to people coming into the same field just yeah. because of their race. It's a bit what do what do what do you feel like drives them to be there and do what it is that they're doing? Because that's that is very strange. Yeah. 
it is. It's just another form of colonialism, right? It's this idea mm-hmm. of I was the first to do this. Sadly, there are a lot of white archaeologists who are like, I'm the first to work on on this in this region, or I'm the first to work on this island. I'm the first to look at this, mm-hmm. and that's their claim mm-hmm. to fame. You know, trying to be the the right. next Christopher mm-hmm. Columbus. Right, and other course, people come through, especially those that aren't white and want to focus not on the victimization, the the brutal trauma, but want to talk about the black experience as a dynamic, resilient, beautiful culture that flourished despite the violence yep. and racialized terror. Mm-hmm. That That does freak people out. That freaks some people out, sadly. Um, and they yeah. feel that that they're going to be told you're not allowed to do it because we now have taken it over our own history. It's it's strange. But again, is, this isn't everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it isn't. But that's the point. It isn't everyone. It's certainly not everyone. I have many white colleagues that are truly allies. Um and they are they are happy to step aside and and hear well what are our impressions as a descendant of enslaved Africans right. about this I mean, history. You, you've also got lived experience that you know you can't really teach someone um, those kinds of things as well. And there there are certain things there are certain ways that I have to say black archaeologists react to that white archaeologists don't feel necessarily the same way. Um, You know, there's a situation I was working in the Caribbean and there was an emergency uh, situation of of, a slave cemetery that was was washing out to the sea. Um, Mm. And thankfully the the French, you know, the white French archaeologists did excavate and preserve as much as possible um, of, of those skeletons to be studied later on and and reinterred but along with those those burials were burial goods you know these these people were buried by their loved ones by their community that meant they had these particular kinds of pots and and all kinds of other artifacts that mm-hmm. were still lying about and being washed to this washed out I was around some archaeologists who were like, oh, pick up everything you can, pick up everything you can. And the other, there was another black archaeologist with me and we looked at each other like, Mm-mm, mm. no, that is disrespectful <laughs> to the dead. That was placed here on purpose. If we don't need mm-hmm. to pick it up, we will not pick it up. But that doesn't occur to everyone that way. This might be a bit of a left field question, but so on yourself um, emotionally, what sort of impact does it have for you? Because you are, you know, like say you're excavating our history and you're seeing almost firsthand, as close to firsthand as you can get, you know, the impact of slavery and you see all the traditions and you've, you know, how, how does that affect you? It's hard. You know, there's a, there is a trauma that is associated of, a kind of post-trauma that's associated with being the first person to see brutality Mm -hmm. firsthand, to actually pick Mm -hmm. up an artifact and know that it was a branding iron with somebody's initials on it. 
gosh, mm. that I'm touching mm-hmm. it, that I'm standing in the space of what is what was uh, a slave hut and seeing how close they all were next to each other and knowing, you know, you could have heard people's screams and cries mm-hmm. from how badly they were whipped. That there were days where it was just, whew, it was hard. Yeah. There were times it's still hard, but you know what? Mm-hmm. I need to share these stories of mm-hmm. not not the the brutality of it because you know I don't mm-hmm. want to find I don't want to perpetuate torture porn you know yeah. that's mm-hmm. and and we know as as black folks today most of us are kind of over all these slave movies like, yeah again fully the, the pretty much right the yeah. recycled victimization and and seeing mm-hmm. that violence inflicted upon us but what mm-hmm. I choose to focus on to center our, our stories of how successful we were in resisting in however mm-hmm. way possible in ways we don't always think, right? We think of resistance as, well, then it must have been like a slave revolt, a violent, overt mm-hmm. manner. But some way, in a lot so. of ways, it was like, you know what? The fact that I made this food and I made it taste good and then I could sell it at a market and make a little bit mm-hmm. of money that maybe can be used to to sell, sell, sorry, to to free my child, right? The the pride yeah. and love that the enslaved community gave to each other through food, the pride that women receive as social power of, you know, which we still do now, right? Everybody knows you want the best saltfish or Aki, you know, you got to go to miss so-and-so or you want the best jollof rice in this area. You know, you got to go to auntie so-and-so, right? That's, that's a a gender based type of social power that is often not talked Mm -hmm. about, but it still exists now. And so I focus on our agency, our social power, our community bonding and identity those things of pride and that I choose to celebrate. I love that. Just following off that, um, I did notice that you are quite heavily involved with some music. And I, I personally would really love to hear about that because I mean, on top of food, which is amazing. You're also <laughs> a music fan. You're actually speaking our language here. You are speaking every single language that we need to be hearing. So could you please tell us a little bit about your music? Cause that would be amazing. <laughs> Well, it's, it's not that I, okay, when I was young, I was in orchestra and marching band, you know, Americans, we always mm-hmm. have marching bands and things like that. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a musician, but I uh, have been the culinary consultant for some music festivals, some food festivals, music festivals, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. one in Perth, Scotland, known as the uh, Southern Fried Music Festival. And so, so we were it, shocked first off the bat because <laughs> we were, what were we doing? Because <laughs> we should have been there. <laughs> Literally, we're like, when's the next one? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're working it? on it. I mean, we're, Please. We get, we're, we're, we're <laughs> has has uh, thrown thrown some things to, uh, to the wind, uh-huh. but, you know, we're all trying to, to recenter ourselves, but, you know, for 10 mm-hmm. years, we were doing this festival, uh, where it is the only music festival of its kind that has a food component that mirrors the music. So 
the the music festival done by conceived by Andy Shearer at you know uh, at the concert hall. It focuses on American roots music, so soul, mm-hmm. rhythm and blues, uh, original country, all of that, rock and roll, and you know, lots of people are well aware of American songs, and they talk about grits and and right, fried yeah. catfish and things <laughs> what like does that. that mean? <laughs> right. There, what is that? Like they know about it, and they know black <laughs> folks sing about it. But mm-hmm. rarely have they had the opportunity to try it. And so I would create these menus and teach the catering staff, this is what wow. this is supposed to taste like, right? So, mm-hmm. so right, everyone knows about KFC and fried chicken, but they, most people here have not had a real fried chicken. And oh. yeah, mm-hmm. some things have, have become quite popular in the last few years, like uh, pulled pork. Uh, red velvet cake mm-hmm. again much of these dishes that have been created conceived and perfected by black people from slavery mm-hmm. onwards barbecue red velvet cake sorry yeah. i just got distracted there and i'm like this is something that you don't know this is not something that's like information that's available for any of us <laughs> no i don't think i would have actually ever yeah. well that's why the that's festival crazy. What you could so so this gave people the opportunity to have history and enjoyment hit all the senses. You're there listening to the music that you really enjoy, but it's rooted much of it in the the creation by black people, right? The influences, rhythm and blues, gospel a lot of country, rock and roll, all of that has distinct Black influential links. And so does the food. Mm-hmm. And so letting people have that opportunity, like this is you know, fried green tomatoes and cornbread and you know jambalaya and gumbo, getting that opportunity for them to, to try it. They fully understand, oh, that's why these people have been singing about this all these decades. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and something later, else, we're still here. <laughs> right? And something else that I always warn people, um, if I ever have the opportunity uh-huh. to, to talk to them, I was like, look, you this isn't the kind of food where you're gonna just take a bite and you're like, Oh, that was nice, thank you. You gotta <laughs> you gotta come with elastic trousers, right? Yeah. We're gonna feed you. We're gonna feed you. You're gonna abandon that yeah. fork and knife. <laughs> You are going to eat. And that's the thing. It's like, and that's when they realize that's why so many Americans are so overweight. You can eat this all the time, <laughs> all the time, every day. Yeah, and yeah. You, you, would. Come back. you would. You would eat would. it every day. Every day. It's, it's that good. You know, the right fried chicken and the red beans and rice and, you know, oh. and all the different desserts. The, uh, just oh. people lose their beignets. I'm telling you. As you've been speaking, I have literally <laughs> gone and followed. 
<laughs> God, and I will not miss an update. <laughs> Updates will not be missed. I'm here mouth watering, thinking about all of this. I'm like, but why? <laughs> yeah, I'm literally like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I will be there. I will be there. Elastic. People... I'm wearing leggings. <laughs> leggings. There you go. Not the elasticated ones. Not the elasticated ones. Extra there room for go. space. You need to move baggy jumper to cover that food, baby, when you leave. <laughs> Let me tell you, this is so the festival has been so successful and mm-hmm. and done particularly the food too, that mm-hmm. I know I know um, Sudanese Muslims who would come with with their plastic Tupperware. Because there's come what, with plastic Tupperware. They would come with their plastic Tupperware because sometimes the festival would would hit um, one of their uh, their Muslim uh, uh, ceremonial days that they can't eat until, you know, mm. till it's dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they came prepared. They would come with Tupperware, buy the food, put it in the Tupperware and take it home mm. or God. have their plate, but also buy enough that they could take it home. Like there were people who came understanding it. we're not just going to eat for now. We're taking it home too. And they would drive back to Glasgow with all this Tupperware full of food and and have two or three more meals. So I just want to go back a little bit. Um, I think you had mentioned that, that there's a brand new sort of uh, Beniba Center for Slavery Studies. Um, can you just yeah. tell us a little bit about that? The University of Glasgow has been engaged with uh, coming to a... a a self-awareness and how might how might have the university benefited from Atlantic slavery or the slave trade maybe no one necessarily that was working with or working at the university might have owned slaves however it turns out quite a number of people did provide donations and and monetary gifts to the university that mm-hmm. had participated in this in the slave trade or the owning of of enslaved africans and mm-hmm. therefore the university did benefit because of it uh, because mm-hmm. of it if indirectly and so mm-hmm. it wanted to Part it wants to, it wanted to um, acknowledge this and participate in reparative justice. How do we pay it forward? Basically, how do we make it right? How do we create more of a balance for people who are descended from enslaved Africans? How can we create some form of racial equity that the university can feel proud of. And Mm -hmm. so some of the things that have, so one of the things that the university wanted to do was uh, create a center for the the study of of slavery and the experience. Again, not just thinking about it in terms of yet another story of victimization and, and violence, but what are the stories that people are still not getting? What is it Mm -hmm. can we, think about and study of our past that we can feel proud of. Mm-hmm. And for me, when they asked me to be the director, I said, that's all fine and well, but 
the center must be named after somebody black, somebody who was enslaved. Right. We need to say their name. We need to, yes. we need to call forth their, their soul, a sense of respect and honor mm-hmm. by forcing everyone to say their name when they say the center. Mm-hmm. And so we chose Beniba because she was mm-hmm. owned legally owned mm-hmm. uh, an enslaved woman owned by one of the past rectors of the oh, university wow. mm-hmm. from, from the 18th century in the records, in the primary sources, all we know is her name, mm-hmm. her monetary value as an, as a field God. worker and that she had at least one child and that is it. And that's mm-hmm. pretty much usually what the slavery archive We'll, we'll show you, right? So it's, it's, it's not even as, it's so bad that there was what was done to people for centuries, but then their, their entire life history is erased. Yeah. Their contributions to build this great uh, British empire is erased by just having, if anything, their name and a monetary value. So I said, we begin with fixing that, right? We begin by making sure anyone who says anything about this center, they have to say her name. They have to think, who is Beniba? What, what is Beniba? Who is Beniba? So they can come mm-hmm. to recognize we are honoring someone that should have had the respect as a human being and not just a value as a field laborer, as property. Yeah. So that's where it begins. Mm-hmm. And so we are involved in research, in intellectual activism, in collaborations with scholars, students, uh, other institutions locally, as well as globally, to help bring about more of an awareness as well as knowledge of our dynamic past beyond the brutalization of, of people as, as property. Mm-hmm. Are there any events that um, are coming up that we can sign place people to, or um, just a central place? You know, it's yes, uh, there certainly is. In fact, um, right after the festival that I I'm doing in London, uh, on February 1st, there is going to be an online event with a historian called, his name is David Alston. And he has just written a book uh, about uh, enslaved people and and the Highlands, mm-hmm. right? The Highlands, the mm-hmm. Highlands of Scotland. And he is one of, he's a very interesting person because he's one of these, like he's, he's a thinking historian who reconciles that the past is not just the past, that the mm-hmm. events that happened in the Caribbean were also affecting and influencing ideas of race and racism mm-hmm. right here mm-hmm. in Scotland. Because it, it is it's something that a lot of people don't know or don't want to uh, admit to is that yeah, there was people will say, "Oh yeah, slavery that happened in the in America or in the Caribbean." Uh, sweetheart, slavery happened right here. <laughs> when we talk about slavery in Scotland, a lot of people like to just sort of think that Scotland's hands are whoa, crystal clear, clean, 
very much not when, so. Mm-hmm. That, you know, Scotland didn't do anything. And, you know, it's all reduced to, you know, things like, it wasn't direct slavery. Like, they didn't own any slaves. Yeah, that kind did. of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? But, like, nobody really, like, nobody really acknowledges that the empire included Scotland. That's the it thing. wasn't just England that was just, like, going off by themselves and doing all of this. What I find crazy Him. is that, like, when when we study history here in oh, Scotland, we get yeah. taught all about the slave trade that happened in America. That is the yeah. enti- that is the Black history we learn. Like, I will, I know nothing about African Black history. I know nothing about Black history within the UK. I will, I can tell you the dates of it. March is that happened in America though? It's like oh, they're really, really just trying to make it seem that you know what we we just were not involved. We just weren't. But there were like slaves in Haddington. <laughs> right. Which is why it, it was, I, I didn't understand why people didn't question, you know, I'm standing in, in city center Glasgow. And I was like, don't you think it's weird that there's a street called Jamaica Street? That, like, why? <laughs> <laughs> why, why is there Jamaica Street? Why, why is there Tobago Bridge here? What, why is there Virginia Street? Like, that's like, exotic. Don't you think that's kind of kind of strange suspicious right and and the and what's quite interesting is when i do talk to my students and i say you do know what what um glasgow's nickname is right and they're like no they'll say merchant city i'm like merchants of what but but the fact that merchant city but merchants so there's merchant city right for city center which merchants of what you tobacco Mm -hmm. sugar cotton you mean all the Mm -hmm. stuff that black people were forced to to labor, to export. Uh, and then there's the entire uh, city of Glasgow's nickname, the second city of the empire, number two. Really? Meaning Glasgow was bringing in more money second to London because oh of the slave trade. Wow. And that's the thing. It's not like we are hypothesizing this. It's all written down. Oh, wow. That, it's I all think, written down. shamelessly. That <laughs> point right there, if I could speak directly to my school, <laughs> my high school that I went to, that point right there, I know it's completely relevant to have the conversation about what was going on in the United States. But I also think for the black kids, you know, that are in your class, get stared at in that conversation on slavery important to also talk about what scotland was doing very to the point that you're second to the empire's very head of operations not liverpool not liverpool not cardiff not bristol imagine Alaska. That's how much money. I'm having That's some very world-changing feelings right now. <laughs> and imagine as well, through these history classes that Susie's mentioning, these are the same kids, the same situations you'll find. You say, yeah, but this, it didn't happen here. Yeah, yeah. but like, you know, like this, this, this. <laughs> but it did. But here's the, not only, so, so it happened over there, but then they would bring enslaved people here to work as, mm-hmm. you know, domestic servants and things like that. And what's interesting, something that I've, I've worked on uh, with, with um, other historians like Simon, Professor Simon Newman and, and worked with black poets down in London is that 
we have all this evidence through uh, 18th and 17th and into 19th century um, newspapers that advertised that their slave had ran away and they want him mm-hmm. back. Not ran away in Jamaica, ran away in Glasgow, ran away in the Highlands, ran away from London. So not only were black people forced to labor in the Caribbean, they were forced to labor here. But what's really interesting is that when you look beyond that statement of in search of my slave, uh, Mary, who ran away from me, uh, on so and such a day, what it's also saying is that these people fought back. They resisted. They took off. Always. They weren't planning on getting caught again. So there are all these ways to understand That's... black people have always <sighs> resisted their enslavement at absolutely. all terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Right. You may not um, say shift... anything about that person. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, sorry. I'll, I'll let you <laughs> continue. Well, I was just no, basically, was just basically say. saying that, you know, Though you know nothing about Mary besides the fact that she ran away, like you don't know what her life was like. She wasn't allowed to read and write and record her experiences. But what you do Mm -hmm. know from that one thing written by that white person is that she resisted. Mm -hmm. She resisted. Mm -hmm. And now here you are in your newspaper looking stupid. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Help. Very much true. Help. Can't find her. She doesn't want to be found. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, there you are. You put a whole broadcast. Now everybody knows. <laughs> Basically. Um, so just to shift track just a little bit. Um, so please, could you tell us about um, For the Culture Celebrations of Blackness Festival? Um, what is it and sort of your role and what can we look forward to um, there? <sighs> For the Culture celebrations of blackness. Yes. This came about when in 2020 conversations came about after yet another series of deaths, Mm -hmm. assassinations, state sanctioned violence was carried out Mm -hmm. on innocent black people. And I call them innocent Mm -hmm. because they were they weren't holding any firearms they weren't in direct confrontation um with the police mm-hmm. with arms or anything like that these were not uh, anyway we all know that yeah. and yet here we are still seeing our brothers and sisters killed mm-hmm. without uh the supposed the supposed uh developed worlds best judicial system to supposedly uh, carry out a sentence, you know, say, are they innocent? Are they guilty? No, they're just executed. They are just wiped off the face of the planet. And we all remember how much it hurt. Mm -hmm. Another form of trauma because it could have been us. Yeah. But instead of just wallowing in our pain, we said we got to do something. Mm-hmm. 
And that is rise what up, I, as I said. we got to rise up. Not only have, do we, did we take to, obviously people took to the streets, people took mm-hmm. to social media, right. To protest, to, to voice their anger, their hurt, their demands for change. But we also wanted to rise up and rebel by saying, you are not going to take our joy from us. You are not going to make us live in fear. We will find a way to not only shout from the rooftops that we are still loving, that we, we're black, even though you mm-hmm. see us as a threat, as something to fear, as something to, to blow out like a candle. We are going to mm. create an event that demonstrates black joy is resistance against a system yeah. that is structurally cre- that is structurally created to disenfranchise us, to marginalize us, mm-hmm. if not to brutally extinguish us. The fact that we will and take you know time what? to celebrate ourselves and see that as joy, that is resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, um, for our podcast kind of came out of, in a way, what was happening in America. And I guess mm-hmm. a frustration and a final straw snapping moment of sort of saying, I'm sick and tired of someone telling our story. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure you... Scottish people <laughs> out there. Pretty much. You know? I'm pretty sure like you and I had never actually openly discussed half of what had happened yeah. in life generally until everything that had happened in America set it off. And yeah. we really just sat down and we were like, do you know what? Nah. Like in the most simple way possible, just not. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to yeah. protect you who bullied me when I yeah. was in primary. I'm no longer going to protect you as a teacher who made me feel X, Y, and Z. So do you yeah. know what? Not. <laughs> like, literally. Yeah. Like you say, you rise up in the ways that you can and you mm-hmm. persevere and that but not only joy. No, 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 no. We don't just persevere. That is the mm-hmm. difference. Is we create. Oh, there, there we We're go. We're not yes. persevering. Yes. Thrive. You yes. create. Right. Mm-hmm. You created a podcast. We created this festival. Those others look to destroy us, to put us into boxes, incarceration or whatever, mm-hmm. to try to stamp our lives out. And we choose to create mm-hmm. and bloom. Mm-hmm. And that's that is resistance. And so that's what why we we decided to do the festival. We wanted to be able to to show the fullness of of blackness in all of its beauty in terms of our our intellectual side, our creatives, our musical side, our our theatrical mm-hmm. side, our artistic mm-hmm. side, but also make sure that we didn't disenfranchise any that identifies as black that may not be heterosexual or may not be mm-hmm. male or may not be you know old enough to vote we want we wanted this festival to be fully inclusive in a way that society in Britain in the US and I would dare say many other places still won't let us be yeah yes. yeah very true yeah so that's so what that's can what we, we look decided to do what you can look forward to. Okay, well, let's talk about the food. Let's 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 talk a little bit about the food. While there's going to uh, be events going yeah. on, yeah, okay, yeah. While there's going to be events going on from Friday evening on to Saturday late day, 
There will be, mm-hmm. that we'll have, you know, some caterers. We're going to have Cali Munchie, which is this African fusion. So yeah, you Ooh. want a little bit of jollof rice? You want, you want a little bit of, yes, of food with some Nigerian spices? You get, you can have that. But being that we are a diaspora, we've got that British Caribbean side too. And not all of us want to eat meat anymore, right? So we wanted to make sure that we are inclusive for those who are choosing mm-hmm. um, alternative uh, dietary measures. So we have, mm-hmm. we'll have Caribbean food um, by Lickle Dutch Pot, but does it in a vegan way, right? Okay. So there's, there's food, there's food. Now, in terms of events, we will have, most of the events will be free. And that was another conscious decision because we did not want people who are still struggling in the aftermath continuously, um, not just aftermath, but even the pandemic is still a problem for many of us in terms of trying to, to get back to where we were financially. Um, we made most of the events free. But we do have some headline acts that are happening each evening um, that's only about 10 pounds. Uh, Friday night's okay. headlining act is Legato Chocolat. And Legato, he is just, again, he is this artist who lives in his truth. His art is his truth. His art is his biography. And He's going to be doing the show that, uh, you know, he's going to be singing and performing musical genres across pop, opera, folk music, because, you know, Black people, we can only do hip hop and, and, and gospel and R&B, <laughs> right? <laughs> we know that's not true. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> and and Legato is this just fabulous fabulous uh, queer man who's going to be doing this like drag cabaret show, but, but basically telling his experiences, his biography through his art. Um, that's amazing. And another, and so that's like uh, what Friday night at 8 PM. Um, mm-hmm. There's going to be uh, on Saturday around five, we're going to have a, 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 a live podcast show with nineties um, baby show. Oh, I love '90s Baby. That's amazing. Yes, '90s Baby. That sounds exciting. So you know it's gonna be gonna be a bit edgy. Love it. You know they keep it real. They keep it real. Yeah, they do. It's gonna be a bit edgy. Yeah. Right. So it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, that evening around eight thirty, we have Shingai performing, and Shingai she used to be um the headliner for. The uh, band Noisettes again. Someone who is well, is no, yes, we're going I there. I had stickers in ah. my diary when ah. I was thirteen. No, <laughs> yep, a homemade yep. diary made of carpet. Don't ask. But <laughs> she, she's she is phenomenal, right? And they they see her as like Afro futuristic pop goddess. Yeah. Like that's a description I've heard. Again, a woman, an artist who is not going to be confined by the boundaries of what is supposed to be a black artist. Love her. Exactly. Love it. And, you know, she just, she's just going to bring the life. Um, Now, a family show uh, is going to be uh, Josephine. And that's going to be 
shown on Saturday and Sunday. So it's basically going to be about Josephine Baker. It's going to talk about how she was this African-American performer who was tired of the Jim Crow world that kept restricting her and every other Black person in America, moved to Europe and had this phenomenal career, but she wasn't satisfied with just being, you know, like the Beyonce of her day. She went on to be a spy and a civil rights activist. That's where I know her from. Yes. they, yeah. they never, they never yeah. stood a chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that choose, World War II? I can't, to I can't remember. Yes, yes. During World War II, absolutely. So there's going to be, and it's it's a family show. So again, you know, mm-hmm. bringing these stories that aren't often told about our people, our history. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the the paying gigs. But like I said, there's going to be a bunch of free events throughout the weekend. Um, the opening mm-hmm. ceremony, for example, uh, is is a big deal. We are going to have, again, trying to be, uh, to cover the spectrum of the, of the diaspora on both sides of the ocean. We're going to have the One Drum Foundation who do all this amazing African drumming and, and a bit of just this acrobatic aspect to oh god they're amazing but then on the other (laughs) side we'll have a steel drum um orchestra playing the endurance steel orchestra playing as well there's going to be you know um imbara playing there's going to be poetry by ronke sounds amazing Uh, um and of course those of us that are the festival uh curators uh -hmm. will be speaking I guess I didn't even mention that. There are three of us that are the artistic. <laughs> Maybe I, I, I should have mentioned that. No, I know. Uh, so de- so, sometimes you just forget about yourself. <laughs> you really I do. about yourself, but let's I, you sing do. your praises, please. Well, there are three of us that have uh, curated this festival. It's myself and Tanuke. Uh, Craig, who is an award-winning director, uh, you know, she's, she does theater drama. She's done Christmas Panto. She's even done large scale musicals like The Color Purple. She's got all of that under her belt. And she's also an artistic, uh, she's an associate artist for the Larry Hammersmith. There's uh, our third Mm. and just as important uh, co-curator, which is Nikolai Liberi. And he's the Lyric Hammersmith's associate director and has been so since last year. He was a MOBO fellow. He was the director of Young People for the Youth Lyric. That, again, focuses not just on on education, but the youth and inclusive practice in theater. So, you know, with the three of us, with with my... you know, experience in in public history with Tanuke and and Nikolai both having such a, a strong and, and multifaceted background in theater, we we just made sure we were going to cover everything as much mm-hmm. as we could. Of course. And mm-hmm. so, in terms of some other free acts uh, that we will have, there's going to be uh, 
an opportunity to get a little close to some some well-known actors. So uh, oh, we have oh. on. Okay. Yeah. Would you like to hear? So, for Please. example, on Saturday <laughs> around 2 p.m., we have uh, for the actors, and it's going to be a monologue showcase. And so there's going to oh, be wow. uh, some veteran actors such as, oh, have you heard of a, a guy named Alfred Enoch? You know, he played ooh, Dean oh, Thomas oh, and Harry oh, Potter. Oh, um, sorry, I'm trying not to freak out. I'm trying not to freak out. Um, you know, yeah. and others who remember him. You remember, we know uh, and you may have watched uh, How to Get I, Away with Murder. He was Wes. Oh my yeah. God. I just finished yeah. watching Foundation on Apple and I am following his career to the the, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> There you go. So, I'm there. so you know, I'm Alfred's going to be there. Oh, wow. um, oh yeah, Alfred's going to be there. Um, did, uh, remember the show that was on last year, uh, the miniseries called It's a Sin that talked about... Yes. The, the AIDS crisis that came up, there was only one significant mm -hmm. uh, female in in the cast, Lydia West. Mm -hmm. She'll be there too. Um, uh, there's going to be uh, Suzanne, uh, Susan Wokoma, who was in Chewing Gum. She played uh, uh, the sister, no Cynthia. No yeah. way! Absolutely love Cynthia and Chugum. She was my favorite. <laughs> she was the best. She's so edgy. <gasps> oh, my days. Um, and of course, you know, uh, the phenomenal uh, Ronke Adekoloju. I always say it wrong. So par pardon me if you were listening to this, who is phenomenal for her, for her stage and, and film. There's also going to be the opportunity for, for young Black talent to showcase what they can do, too. We wanted to, to be able to provide that opportunity of young up-and-coming actors getting to share the stage and, and, and learn through osmosis and through conversation with veteran actors. And not just that. So, yes, there's going to be the music. There's going to be all the artistic uh, side in terms of acting. But... But there's there will be events for you know young families, expectant mothers, mm -hmm. and not only is there needs that need to be celebratory and and love in our joy, but there's also self care that we also need to consider. And so we will have a, a an event called for the mind on Sunday afternoon around one p.m. and it's it's going to be a mm -hmm. well being workshop because. Ooh, it's hard being black in this world and we need to find it really is full-time job right we need to find better strategies for us to to stay focused and to stay grounded and not have the system kill ourselves if they don't kill yeah. us first we need to you know and 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 find better ways to to deal with with our issues uh, our mental and emotional health that we so often, especially right, black women, we we push that to the side because we have other things we got to focus on. But we do need yeah. to to learn how to focus on self care because that is also a form of resistance, right? The making sure that you are going to be healthy 
physically, emotionally, mentally, for you, for your family, and and for the future. So we wanted to make sure that, exactly. So we wanted to make sure that we have events that cover all age groups, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have children or about to have children, for people who identify as part of the LGBTQIA community, um, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to have uh, on on Sunday, Lem Sisse, oh, God, my tongue, mm-hmm. Lem Sisse, who I always say it's so funny. Uh, you know, he's one of Britain's most popular and celebrated poets. And mm-hmm. we get to hear, hear his work, how he's taken the darkness and made something beautiful. And there's also one of my, uh, of course, I haven't mentioned again what I'll be doing, one of the things I'll be doing. Um, You know, there's going to be for the conversation that I've called, the topic is the political is always personal. Mm -hmm. It always affects us. It always affects us. And that how do we turn these, these problems? How do we turn these problems uh, in our political and social world into a way that works for us, into a way that we can fight against or, or modify? And so I wanted to invite on the panel mm-hmm. Lady Phil, who was the co-founder and CEO of UK's Black Pride. Mm-hmm. Give her that platform to tell us, you know, what it's been like for her. And also sharing that panel will be comedian Dane Baptiste, mm-hmm. who will obviously, oh, he has this wonderful balance <laughs> of being able to be funny, but intellectual and insightful at the same time too. So again, yeah. how do we take the struggles that are constantly thrown at us because of these structures of, of racism, of anti-Black racism, and how do we create something active, supportive, and forward-moving for, for us and our, our community? That's very Thank true. You. For the people that don't know, could you please give us the key dates of the festival? Because... Obviously, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love to come and have us and have um, a look. Especially you London people. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's happening in London from Friday to mm-hmm. Sunday. That is the <clears throat> in the next what next week from the 29th mm-hmm. of January. Okay. Until till that Sunday. Um. Well, actually, Saturday is the 29th. It's the 28th, the The 29th, and the 30th. Yes. Okay. 28th. Yeah, you get whole days. Time to put in that notice to your manager, everyone. Sorry, I need my Saturday (laughs) off. (laughs) You're busy. Yes. And again, and again, you know, we we know that times have been very hard for a lot of us. And even if it hasn't been that hard, you know, we just had Christmas. You know, we spent some money on our mm-hmm. ourselves or our family. We don't necessarily have a lot of money. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. So that's why we wanted to make this um, as inclusive as possible so that it's, it's affordable for everyone. And, you know, like I said, 
we have everything for the senses. We have things for the mind, for the soul. We have events for for your ears, for your We have an art exhibition, we, which is available to view freely all weekend long, mm-hmm. also at mm-hmm. the Lyric Hammersmith. Um, but we certainly want to have as many people come out and just enjoy themselves. Now, of course, we are all con- still concerned about the 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 rise of of Omicron and and whatever new variant that's coming around the corner of COVID. Mm-hmm. So Lord. we do <laughs> take precautions. We are taking all our precautions, particularly with all our performances and events. They are seated. So and there will be deep cleaning hap- happening between each each event mm-hmm. so that we certainly want so a nice to feel, good environment yes we, we want them to feel yeah. safe and safe. and though it's a festival it is indoors it's too cold to be doing this foolishness outside it is all indoors <laughs> thank it's all indoors. i think a lot of people have just sighed relief <laughs> literally it's all indoors yes <laughs> that um brings us nicely to our um our uh, last segment sorry we just want to quickly ask so we like to do this thing called um our black scots of the week now since Susie always likes to make me go first i'm going to make her go first this week and uh, we'll have you tell us your black scot of the week okay um my black scot of the week is uh chinyanta and i probably said it all types of wrong <laughs> but i'm still gonna say it okay um and essentially so she actually won miss africa great britain okay <gasps> right and I say she's my black Scott is I get it self-serving. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is Zambian. You don't even, oh, you don't even written for the home team. There you yes, go. From my there home country. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you know what, actually, she does do quite a lot of um community outreach stuff, um, not just to the black Scottish people, but also to the people back home. And I super appreciate it. You've probably seen her on TikTok, to be honest. Um, she's usually got some amazing dancing videos. Like she usually does those um uh oh. I don't call them like reaction videos, but um mm-hmm. like she does those situational videos, which is kind of like when you're at an African wedding. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and then you hear the announcements and like this is how people dance, and she is a fabulous dancer like it just it is like wow ah, amazing yeah she's got a great grasp of like um dancing and just I guess being a social media personality but not just that like I guess it's just that whole that, that bit about giving back and also being present in your own community mm-hmm. um that I think I'm gonna give her a wee shout out you can find her at the chinyanta on um instagram and I'll just leave a wee link uh, below in the description but yeah that that is my black scott part of the week we love it absolutely love it dr peggy could we yeah. get your black scott pod person black scott pod person <laughs> i'm changing the whole thing here me. <laughs> <laughs> she's like it's me <laughs> could we get your black scott of the week i i actually chose a a, a real black scott uh person someone who mm-hmm. um uh, has lived in glasgow um, I almost think all of her life. Um, her name is mm-hmm. Baeli Adeoti, and um, ah. her family's from Malawi. 
-hmm. And she is the founder and the managing director of uh, Decamai, which is this, uh, yeah, Decamai. And she basically, talking about giving back to the community, Decamai finds ways to empower women um, from, from diverse backgrounds, but certainly it is the focus on women and how to empower them to advance their businesses or, or, or um, financial ideas uh, or, or potential business ideas so that they can become um, independent and um, succeed economically. And this yeah. is, I, she just, you know, she really, she's just this woman that's always been doing this in her yeah. own way. And if you've ever seen her, she's strikingly beautiful, right? This is the kind of yeah. person you would want to say she's fake. And yes, she's pretty. And fake. <laughs> no, no. She's quite radiant. She is, she and have, I've had like a brief conversation with her and she is like, she does have like this sort of like, I don't, a, like a glow. Right. Her beauty is from the inside out. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. it's so obvious when you, when you speak to her. And so the fact that, this is something that she has taken on as, as what she wants to do with her life is help others, particularly women, um, especially those who mm-hmm. are who are of immigrant backgrounds and just trying to figure mm-hmm. their way in this weird British system. Uh, she's phenomenal. To be honest with you, my black Scott. I feel like I've already mentioned this person, but I'm also not sure because I don't like I can't keep track of what I say half the time. To be fair with you. <laughs> But um, <laughs> this week, I would like my black scalp to be um, chef. Um, we you have had. Him so many have times. I? Oh no! No, like he can have it again. No, seriously, he, he can, can have he it can again. He can definitely have it again. He can have one again. We have had the absolute <laughs> pleasure of speaking to him, and not only is he an absolutely lovely human being. Yeah. Um, his music has literally been popping all over my feed everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he is my black Scott of the week because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I want to give out shout outs to people doing their thing. Mm-hmm. He's been featured on BBC Extra. I'm sure BBC introducing so much has literally mm-hmm. been happening for him. He's had concerts yeah. left, right and center. Um, but yeah, He's like putting that Scottish rap, that Scottish rap on the map because oh that rhymed. Yeah. <laughs> he is putting it on the map because clearly we're not having enough people show um black Scottish culture. So he is really yeah. out there for the team, and also doing loads for the community. Um, as he mentioned in our podcast, and I'm sure he's doing a lot more. Um, you can find him his socials. I think this this is Chef at this is Chef on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And obviously on Spotify, Chef as well. I'm sure Apple Music as well, if I'm correct. Yeah, he's everywhere. Yeah, he's everywhere. And I will make sure you to Dekumai <laughs> as well. No, he's a very, very talented <laughs> young man. Very young as well. That's what shocked us. Right. Very so young. Like, my he's guy very is... competent. Hey! <laughs> like, my guy is doing the most. I'm like, what was I doing when I was your age? Yeah, I was like, I was sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still sleeping. <laughs> um, yeah, Peggy, do you have any sort of parting words? Um, where can we find you on social media? Oh, you could find me on social media. So, on Twitter, it's just my... My name at Peggy Bernash. Um, and on <laughs> on Instagram, you could find me at Negro Shire because yes. when I first met yes! <laughs> you know yes! it. You know where this we love it. 
felt like I, I was the only Shirley... Negro in the Shire. Oh, honestly. Yeah. Shirley's, he's oh my God, you have actually I... made my day. This is the yeah. best one yet. Best one yeah. yet. Be that... proud. That's a great Be one. Be proud, That's say it loud, one. because hey, hey. Just imagine somebody angrily yeah. treating That's... back at you. We go Shire. Oh, I, oh, I have. Oh, you know, <laughs> trolls. There are so many trolls out there, but yeah. whatever. It, oh, yeah. So often I've felt like the only Negro in the Shire, just trying mm -hmm. to wrap my head around all of this. So um, it took a while to start finding some of y'all, but yeah, there's still, and I'm sure you've all been in that situation too, where am I really the only one out here? Am I? Yeah. It's the it's, only Negroes uh, in the borough. 100%. 100%. 100%. Was pretty convinced yeah. for a while we might have been the only black people in like at least a 30 mile radius at one point. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's wild. That, I, that, for me, that was a fact. <laughs> I was like, black was, people. Yeah. I don't know. Every time I see black people on the street, I'm like, who are you? This is my area. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's my turf. <laughs> it's yours. Um, and ah. <laughs> Like like the archaeologist I told you about. Like it's mine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> here first. Um, but yes, um, any key dates that we need to be aware of? Yeah, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So the 28th, the 29th, and the 30th. And, you know, mm -hmm. just as we'll have an opening ceremony, we will also have a close, closing ceremony and, and everything in between. So if you're, if you're not sure, just Google lyric hammersmith theater and the title of our festival is for the culture which most black folks understand what that means well looking forward to it and thank you so much for coming on to the oh, show uh, you. you have been great this has been not only an enlightening conversation I think a little bit life-changing I'm going to be hitting people with that yes. Glasgow fact left right yes. and center yes and directing them of course um to yourself but like literally life-changing information blow my mind oh thank you just thank you. there's, there's so much <laughs> so much out there there's so much going on and and there there is a rise in more historians trying to put that information out there not mm -hmm. just to other academics but like myself mm -hmm. to the public because mm -hmm. it's everybody. Black history is British history. So yep. everybody needs to know about it. Absolutely. It. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, then please do reach us at Black Scott Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me at Susie Mwanza because I have never been creative with my usernames when I should have been apparently <laughs> <laughs> now you're losing <laughs> yeah and uh Shirley oh yeah and you can find me on Instagram underscore Shirley McPherson and mm -hmm. you can find me on Twitter as Thickmas Prime the one and only <laughs> so yeah <laughs> 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 thank you guys okay, so for much. listening to us today and thank you so much for being here with us doctor but Ash, we've had so much fun like seriously as yeah, we're going to end up we're not going to end up coming off this phone call my family's waiting 